Well, if he's your king, why don't you bless him like he's your king? If he's your personal king, why don't you bless him like, Lord, you are my king, king of kings, Lord of lords. You are my king. Hallelujah. And I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, Lord. Forever and ever, you are my king. Oh, bless his name. Oh, bless his name. Oh, bless his name. Listen, we love the Lord. And thank God for a love that allows us to love one another. The Bible says love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not easily provoked. Love seeketh not in its own. And since it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month, let me tag that thought and say love is not abusive. Love does not beat folk up. And if the person is saying they love you and hitting you at the same time, that doesn't go together. And so we, we, we want to bring awareness to the reality that women and men suffer abuse and if you find yourself in that situation call for help call for help and don't fall for the okie doke talking about I love you now, if you love me show some control show some constraint and go get some help. Amen, somebody. Book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter number 22. I want to begin reading at the 13th verse, Jeremiah 22, beginning with verse number 13. You'll find these words recorded. Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong that useth his neighbor's service without wages and giveth him not for his work. That saith, I will build me a wide house and large chambers and cutteth him out windows and it is sealed with cedar and painted with vermilion. Shalt thou reign because thou closest thyself in cedar? Did not thy father eat and drink and do judgment and justice, and then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well with him. Was not this to know me, saith the Lord. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I want to talk for a few minutes about the gospel of justice. 
the gospel of justice. Today is the first Sunday of a new fiscal year for us here at K Chapel. We start in the month of October with clean books and a new budget. We start also again with a ministry of missions, missions that include benevolence, laymen and missionary projects supporting causes and partnering with charities whose work align with our values and advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ through the denominational work of our state and national conventions. This work includes disaster relief efforts, which most recently involved our contribution, this church's contribution to aiding the people of the Bahamas, but also includes sustained efforts in criminal justice reform, affordable housing, and providing leadership on issues of systemic racism that impacts the quality of life for many minorities. We are and will continue to be actively engaged in supporting issues and causes that positively impact people's lives, partnering with Walton School to improve education outcomes, bringing attention to and supporting any number of issues in and related to health and health care community development, food and clothing security, and other issues of justice that reflect biblical precepts and God's best intentions for human flourishing and for beloved community. And we do these things, and we take these stands not as an add-on to our faith, but rather as a direct result and an expression of our faith. It is our reading of God's word, and it is our understanding of God as being a God of justice who stands on the side of the oppressed that prompts us to be advocates for love, mercy, and justice. The justice of God to be felt and made visible in and throughout this world. <laughs> I want to stress to you this morning, our recommitment <clears throat> to an active ministry of missions, benevolence, and justice work. This has been central to who we are and how we understand and practice our faith here at K Chapel. Faithfulness to Christ means faithfulness and commitment to his missions and to his work. And as a church community, we will continue to lean into this work more purposefully, more consistently, with the assurance that doing so is living out the gospel of Jesus Christ, who we so love. That's why I'm excited and delighted to be deploying this new team of women into prison ministry. It says that we are leaning into this work. And I offer these things to you this morning, this thought to you this morning, because over the course of the last year, there has been a growing attack in evangelical circles against social justice and its place in matters of faith and church. In fact, last September noted, 
pastor, author, and theologian John MacArthur and 13 other pastors penned a statement entitled Social Justice and the Gospel in which a call was issued to return to the gospel which is defined in the statement as, quote, the divinely revealed message concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ, especially his virgin birth, righteous life, substitutionary sacrifice, atoning death, and bodily resurrection, revealing who he is and what he has done with the promise that he will save anyone and everyone who turns from sin by trusting in him as Lord, end of quote. Now, I don't have any problem with that statement. That's a great statement. That's a great definition. What I have a problem with is the denial that follows that statement. It's the denial that follows the statement that concerns me. Right after that statement, they print this denial, quote, we deny that anything else, whether works to be performed or opinions to be held, can be added to the gospel without perverting it into another gospel. This also means that implications and applications of the gospel, such as the obligation to live justly in the world, though legitimate and important in their own right, are not definitional components of the gospel, end of quote. In other words, the gospel according to these now 12,000 or more pastors who have signed on is only concerned with the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus in order to save the souls of men. And that calls for justice. And that's a call for justice in a world, rather, it's beyond what we understand Jesus' ministry to be. Jesus was much more inclusive and broader thinking in what the gospel really is. Problem that you ought to have with that statement is the fact that Jesus shows up in the synagogue one day and reads the scripture from Isaiah saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set liberty to them that are bruised. And Luke says that after he finished reading, he gave the book back to the priest, sat down and said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus defines his own ministry as one of healing the sick, liberating the imprisoned, giving benevolence to the broken, and preaching to the impoverished. Jesus directly aligns his mission with his message. What he preaches and what he practices are congruent and in fact are necessarily combined. They exist concomitantly, one resulting because of the other. And the point being that you cannot have a gospel that does not have practical application and implications upon life itself. You cannot have a gospel that ignores the poor or overlooks the imprisoned. You cannot have a gospel that is void of benevolence or lacking in liberation. You cannot have a gospel that does not consider the lot of the lost, the left, and the forgotten. And our commitment to Christ is a commitment to his message, but also to his mission and model for mercy and for justice. 
we got to do it all. And I invite you over the course of this next year to connect in a very meaningful way to a ministry in this church that allows you to live out your faith in ways that involve you in ministering to others, serving others, caring for others, doing for others, providing for others, demonstrating the hands and the heart of Christ to others. Because faith in God is not just a static study of theology and the habitual practice of religion. In fact, Jesus condemns that kind of religiosity with the Pharisees saying that even though they gave great attention to the tithe of mint and cumin, that they missed the weightier matters. What are the weightier matters Jesus was talking about? He lists them when he says matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye have done and not leave the other undone. Jesus says two things here. First, that the misappropriation of attention on the religious over the relational is a recipe for woe. Listen to it. The misappropriation of attention on the religious over the, in other words, when you look so much at religious stuff and look over relational stuff, you're missing the point of the gospel. When you're more concerned about doing church rather than being church, you're missing the point of the gospel. When, when, when you're more concerned about coming to church rather than taking the church, oh, sure, you, you, you're really missing the point of the gospel. Jesus says, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. That's the religious. And you have omitted the weightier matters. Jesus says doing the religious practice is fine, but engaging in those matters that change how we relate to one another, that's the weightier stuff. And be, be clear on what he says. He does not say that tithe is not important. Amen, lights. Amen. He didn't say, don't tithe. He said, he said in fact, no, he said, you, they should have done that and the things that have been left undone. In other words, Jesus is saying to forget, not to forget about the tithe, but he says to do them both, understanding that what we do in the world that promotes justice and mercy and faith carries more weight in terms of how faithful we really are. In other words, let me break it down like this. You can give and give and give, but if you don't do anything to serve humanity, you are neglecting the weightier part of your faith. You can pray and pray and pray, but if you don't do anything to promote justice and equity in the world, you are neglecting the weightier part of your faith. You can sing and sing and sing, but if you don't stand up for anything or champion any cause to stop the spread of injustice, you are neglecting the weightier part of your faith. And faith has a weightier part to it that most Christians try to avoid. This part of faith, Sunday morning worship, this is simple. We can do this in our sleep. This, this, this what we do? 
We know this like the back of our hands. Amen. This is the simple stuff. The weightier part of our faith is tomorrow morning. The weightier part of our faith is Monday morning missionaries. The weightier part of our faith is feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. The weightier part of faith is fighting for fair housing for the poor and advocating for quality education for all children. The weightier part of our faith is visiting and helping to reform prisoners. The weightier part of our faith is faithfully teaching scripture and mentoring teens as they grow into adulthood. The weightier part of our faith is developing a holy discussion content for injustice such that your faith would not allow you to rest or go on with your business as usual until you stand up and say something about it. The weightier part of your faith. The weightier part of your faith oftentimes has been neglected. And that's the part that the Lord wants you to stir up. And that's the part that the church needs you to activate the way to your part you got this the way to your part what you do after this that's what the gospel of justice is being aware of wrong and responding to it God expects us to pay attention to the sound of injustice, to hear it, to be aware of it, and to respond to it. That's what God himself does. He heard the sound of the blood of Abel crying from the ground, and he responded to it by questioning Cain, where, are your, where is your brother? Am, am I my brother's keeper? You remember the exchange. He heard the sound of the cries of Israel, and he responded by sending Moses to lead them out of Egypt. He heard the cries of Hagar's son who was put under a bush to die because she didn't have any means to care for him, and God rescued them and all I'm trying to tell you is that the Lord does not ignore the cries of injustice and neither should we his children too often Christians drown out the sound of injustice with the opioid of music we sound out we drown out the sound of injustice with a good praise party and a good worship experience and thank God for that. I love that. You know I love worship like anybody else. But if it's drowning out the cries of a community around us, you got it turned up too loud. If it's drowning out the cries of housing around you that needs to be redeveloped, you got it too loud. You can't hear children who are being abused, children who are being hurt, children who are being failed by their schools, then your music is too loud. All I'm trying to tell you is that the Lord does not ignore the cries of injustice. We block it out. Causes being too costly, we think, and issues being too involved and conditions being too complicated. The disciples felt just like that when faced with the problem of a crowd that exceeded their capacities. It was too large of a crowd, too big of a problem, too much for the little that they had available. What can we do, God, with such little and so great a need? And Jesus said to him, what do you have? 
Don't tell me about how big the problem is. Tell me what you have. Don't tell me about how grand the issues are. Tell me what you already have in your hand. Watch this. And if you put what you have in your hand in his, it says, I'll take that too little and cause it to become too much. Yes, while there are huge problems in the world, problems of poverty, problems of economic equity, problems of education and homelessness and criminal justice problems of affordable housing, we are called to put what we have in his hands and see what God will do with it. I want to submit to you that it's in that space of putting who we are and what we have in the hands of the Lord that you really begin to develop your knowledge of who God is. You can read volume after volume of theology, but you only come to know who God is when you walk with him and when you work with him. You can read volume after volume of Christian doctrine, but you only come to know who the Lord is when you come to him and say, Lord, I don't have enough. This is too much for me but I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do. I'm going to exegete this text and I'm going home. Okay, I'm going to the office. The three things, three things, three things, three things that this text teaches us about the gospel of justice. Number one, this teaches us that God has a problem with his people taking advantage of and not advocating on behalf of the poor. God has a problem when his people, church people, take advantage of the poor and don't advocate on behalf of the poor. God has a problem, watch this, when rich people get rich off of the poverty of poor folk. He's got a problem with that. You cannot and you can't, we cannot be Christians. You, you say, well, that ain't me. I ain't rich. That's all right. But, but if you're a Christian and you look over the fact that people are profiting off of the poverty of others and you say nothing about it, then you are not doing your job. Y'all ain't talking to me. He's got a problem with that. You cannot be a Christian and look over the fact that God sees wage disparities. He is concerned, watch this, with how we make our livings. If you're getting ahead by keeping somebody down, God's got a problem with that. If you are attaining wealth at the expense of someone else not, be able, not being able to make ends meet, God has a problem with that. If your success is built on someone's poverty, God has a problem with that. And not only does he have a problem with those who do it, but he has a problem with those who let it be done. Those, who allow, those of us who allow it to be so, those who allow immigrant workers to be underpaid for bigger profits, those who allow it to be done, y'all ain't talking to me here, those who allow it, those who see it and know what's going on, those, watch this, who you underpay them yourself. Y'all ain't talking to me now. Oh yeah, you know you're always looking for cheap labor. Amen. 
And then, and then, then we'll say they ought to be glad I gave them that. Amen. You know I'm right about it. Amen. You got a little directory of immigrant workers you can call and roofing and, and all that, and, and, and you decide what you're going to pay them. See how quiet it's getting? <laughs> Reverend, I ain't know it was a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. God has a problem with that, with us underpaying those who work. Good God Almighty. God has a problem with payday lenders who get rich by keeping the unbanked in a cycle of repayment with exorbitant loan percentages and processing fees. God has a problem with that. God has a problem with for-profit schools getting paid for degrees that in many instances are not worth the paper that they're printing on and do little in advancing the professional careers for those who earn them. God has a problem with that. And it's the church who is called to say something and do something about it. Do something about it. Number two, number two, God blesses those who act and live justly. God blesses those who act and live justly. God is talking to a new king who has come up on the scene, and he has a problem with this king, and he says to him, listen, your daddy didn't do it the way you're doing it. He says, basically, did not your father eat and drink and do justice? He says, in other words, listen, your daddy was about judgment and justice and everything he needed, he had. In other words, you don't have to do wrong in order to get over. You don't have to do wrong in order to have your needs met. You, you, you can do right by people and still have your needs supplied. Wish I had a witness in here. Does anybody know the Lord will take care of you? You don't have to cut corners. God will take care of you. you. You don't have to keep back from others what they rightly deserve. God will take care of you. You do right and God will do right by you. God will take care of you. Thirdly, and I'm, I'm through. Thirdly, I'm through. Thirdly, I'm through. This text teaches us that knowing God is to participate in a justice ethic. Knowing God, if you say you know God, and if you call him your king forever, you are my king, then that recognition calls you to participate in a justice ethic. Mm. Your king calls you to do that. Your king beckons you to the work of justice. I want to bring Job into this sermon for just a second. Job is described in the Bible as an upright and blameless man of God. And I've wondered what it is about Job that God could give him that kind of commendation. What was it about Job that God would brag on him so much before the devil? What was it about Job that the Lord could have such confidence in Job's character and conduct? And I think we get a glimpse of it over in chapter number 29 as Job talks a bit about himself and the defense to the suffering he was experiencing. Listen to Job in Job chapter 29 beginning at verse number 11. Here's what he says. Whoever heard of me spoke well of me. This is Job defending himself. And those who saw me commended me because I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who 
had none to assist them. The one who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. Job says, and basically he's defending himself before God, but, but you get a sense of why God calls him an upright man, a righteous man, because Job had an ethic of doing right by others. And when others were wronged, taking up for them. I want to suggest to you that God calls Job upright and righteous in Scripture, not only because he loved the Lord and not only because he worshipped him, but because he participated in an injustice ethic that calls him to minister to the needs of others. He was a missionary of mercy, eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. He was an advocate of action. He broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. He participated in charity. But he was also not afraid to advocate for the needy. Cade, we've been called to a grand mission. And it's baked into the DNA of who we are as a church. I shared with the group who gathered few weeks ago for the business meeting that we have a grand legacy at this church the person for whom this church was named Isham Cade freed slave from Carroll County Mississippi made his way to Jackson and bought property in what is now Fondren before it was Fondren, Isham Cade owned that property. In fact, the property where, where Fondren Presbyterian Church and Woodland Hills Church sit right now, that was Cade's property. He owned that property and, and he thought it well to parcel it out and establish some businesses but to also have one plot of land reserved for church school. Because at that time, the only church for African Americans was Mount Helm Baptist Church. And that was in the city. And Fondren was considered the country part of Jackson at that time. He thought it well, watch this, to begin what I call social engineering looking at land and saying this will be used for this and this will be used for that and he said we're going to use part of this land to educate our children but to also have a place to worship Aisham Cade was not only thoughtful enough to do that but he was a baker at the insane asylum for the state of Mississippi he baked bread He went to work every morning and baked bread. When I, say, when I say mission and being involved in how life happens and what happens in the lives of others is baked into the DNA of who we are. 
That's what we've always done. Jackson Hines Comprehensive Health started here. Right here at KHF. Sunday school classrooms were Sunday school on, on Sunday mornings, but on Monday mornings, they were exam rooms. It's baked into the DNA of who we are, concerned about life as it is and as it should be. And all I'm asking is as your pastor, we continue to lean into that legacy. Because that's what the gospel is all about. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you and give you his peace. What will you do this year? How will you carry on a legacy of mission and ministry and modeling that which the Lord himself did? Caring for others. Serving others. Building into the lives of others. If you're not a part of a missionary circle or you're not a part of the layman's group, you need to make it your business. Amen. As a matter of fact, layman, do I have my layman president here? Lay, I know I, I hear a layman over there. Is, is uh, brother, I don't, is he here? You'll stand in, in place of him. Come on. Layman, is my missionary president here? I don't see, is she here? There she is. God bless. All right, perfect. One behind the other. If you're not a part of the layman or the, or the missionary circles, any of those, this is where work happens. In, in these two areas right here, this is where you get plugged in to mission. This is, where, this is where we deploy people into service. If you're not connected, see them after this service. Sign up now. Because we have to lean into the gospel of justice. Because the gospel of justice is the gospel of Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. And give you his peace. If you're here this morning, if you don't have a church home, if you've not given your life to Christ, if you have not become a new creature and you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Let me say it like this. If you don't know that you're saved, I want to invite you to come right now. If you don't know, if you don't know that heaven is your eternal home, because listen, all of us will leave here one day. All of us, if barring the return of Jesus himself, at some point we will all leave here question is do you know where you're going if you're uncertain about that I want to invite you to come right now if you've already given your life to Christ but you don't have a church home you don't have a place to live out your faith what we just talked about a place to connect and and let your faith have visible tangible meaningful results where your hand is on the gospel plow changing the lives of others by touching and impacting communities if you're just in the worship cycle but you have yet to really engage the work I want to invite you to come I want to invite you to come and say yeah I, will, I want to be a part of this work I want to be a part of this church I want to be a part of this mission if you're here this morning we invite you to come the doors of the church are open 
and come by letter by Christian experience as a candidate for baptism. Come now. Sister Henderson is coming, standing in the gap for her brother who is in ICU, and she's coming for prayer. If you will, take the hand of the person next to you, and let us pray. Pray now. Father God, we come now. We come with bowed heads and humbled hearts. We come to you, O Lord, for one of your servants who's standing in the gap for a brother. Father, you know his name. You know his situation, O Lord. Father, you even know the outcome. But Father, we just want to say thank you for giving her this opportunity to come before you, O Lord. Father, we ask, O oh Lord, that if healing is in the plan, we ask that you do it now. 
If comfort is in the plan, do it now. No matter whatever the need is, Father, no matter the circumstances, Lord, we say do it now. Father, because you've done it before and we know that you didn't bring him this far to leave him. So, Father, we just want to say thank you, Lord, for all the blessings you bestowed upon us. We love you, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand? Won't you stand? Amen. Amen. Missionary President, God bless you. Come on up here. I want them to see you. Uh, also, Brother Elvers, come on and stand in the gap for Brother Davis. I didn't see him, so you come on and stand in this gap. Y'all stand right here because y'all going to be bombarded with people who want to sign up for your, your amen, get some paper, amen, get them some paper, because they're coming now, they're coming, they're coming, amen, they're coming, they're coming, amen, I see them, they're they making their way to you, amen, God bless you, I'm going to give you a minute, amen, y'all still stand up, amen, <laughs> God bless you, God bless you, God, let them borrow a sheet of paper, amen, <laughs> amen, God bless you, Madam Clerk, you mind helping out? Come on and just stand up here with them. Amen. They're going to need some help because a lot of folk are coming. Amen. I'm, I'm just calling in. And, amen. God bless you. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. They're coming. All the help is coming right now. Amen. Y'all get ready to sign up because we need you actively engaged this year. Amen. We need you engaged. Amen. Missionary Circle Layman Group. Amen. This is where the work happens. We get it done by you coming and being a part of the work. Amen. Now may the grace of God and the sweet communion of his Holy Spirit rest, rule, and abide with each of you now, henceforth, and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. God bless you. Go in peace.